Welcome to the Alpha Ministries podcast. Alpha Ministries is a recovery church whose mission is to teach individuals and institutions to recognize and apply the gospel of grace, building stronger families and communities. Today's podcast is sponsored by TJB Web Media, a New Jersey SEO marketing and WordPress web design company for businesses, churches, and nonprofits. If you need help, With your website, getting more traffic to your website, if you already have one or you want to build a website and have Dave consult with you of how to get the best traffic to your website, the most hits on Google, etc., he is the man for the job. He will build a website or he will consult with you on your present website. Check out their information in the show notes. Today's podcast is a message on the life of Peter that John has been teaching on Sunday mornings at Church in the Woods at Freedom Ranch. Without further delay, here's John. All right, let's get back to our study here. We, um, we're kind of embarking on a new study, uh, even though it might not seem like it to you, uh, what we've studied over the last couple of weeks. We've been studying what this new lifestyle of walking like Jesus looks like. I called it walking backwards. And we went through quite a few scriptures and examples of that so that you understand how radically different it is than the normal lifestyle that we were born into. And it is radical and it is different. And so I thought it would be a good idea to follow that up with a biographical sketch of one of the best examples in the scriptures, particularly in the gospel accounts, of one who is walking backwards or learning to walk like Jesus, a guy by the name of Simon. That was his given name, Simon, son of Jonah. And last week we kind of talked about his calling, which illustrates all of your calling, by the way. His calling and his introduction to Jesus out of John's Gospel in the very first chapter. Let me just quickly review that with you because I want to get to another aspect of his life with you today. He was a fisherman. No great intellect, no college degree. He was a fisherman and generally in trouble because he didn't have enough money to pay his taxes. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Now his brother, Andrew, went out to see that wild man named John the baptizer who was preaching in the wilderness about the coming kingdom and the coming king. Preparing the way. And Andrew and another disciple of John were out there next to the Jordan River where John was baptizing. In fact, he actually baptized Jesus also so that Jesus could identify himself with all of us. And Jesus came walking by the following day 
And John said, look, there he goes. That's the Passover Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world. And immediately, Andrew and his buddy left John, the baptizer, and went to follow Jesus. Now, Jesus noticed them. He turned around looked at them. He said, what are you guys doing? What do you want? And they called him Rabbi, which is Master or Teacher. And I find it interesting, the first question they asked Jesus is, where you live? Where are you staying? He said, come on, I'll show you. And they went to where Jesus was living at the time and spent the afternoon with him. That cinched it in Andrew's mind for sure because he went home and he sought out his brother Simon and he said, we found the Messiah. Now it's hard for us living in this day and age to really understand the implication of that because you know, we know the story, we've read it, we've heard it, and that's, that sort of thing. But more than that, to say to your brother, we found the Christ, the Messiah, was to announce a monumental change in history. You see, all of Israel were waiting for the Messiah to show up. Now, granted, they had a little different notion of what the Messiah would do and look like and be and so on. But they were waiting for the Messiah. The Messiah to Israel was the Deliverer. He was the one that was going to fix everything that's wrong. As far as they were concerned. And to tell his brother, Simon... We found this guy. We know where he lives. Come, and I'll show you. And so the next day, Andrew takes his brother where Jesus was hanging out. And before he could even introduce his brother, Jesus looked at Simon and he said, You're Simon, son of Jonah. I know who you are. But from now on, you're going to be called Peter. Now, in order to understand the significance of that, we just have to look at the, the meaning of the names. Simon is a reed, kind of like grass, blown everywhere by the wind. Peter means a rock, a stone. Solid. So what Jesus did in effect was to tell Simon, I'm going to give you a new identity. I'm changing your identity. And you now have a new identity. Now, where we are connected in that is every one of you who have come to Jesus, 
Every one of you who've had this personal encounter with Jesus, you can describe it in various ways, with the living Christ today, you've encountered Him, you've believed who He was and who He is, every one of you have been given a new name. Did you know that? Yeah. Not the name you were given when you were born, but a new name. Now, I don't know what that name is. I don't even know what my new name is. right? But I know it signifies the fact that I am a new person. I have been changed and am being changed into this new person. As we follow his life, Peter was radically changed from a fisherman. Jesus said, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. I'm going to change your calling. I'm going to change your occupation. And so Peter began to follow him. He believed on him. And that illustrates for us what God is doing with each one of us as we trust him. He is giving us a new identity. Now Paul explains the technicalities of that in Romans chapter 6 when he says, when you come to Jesus, when you are joined to him, the old person you were is crucified, buried with Christ, and a brand new person is raised up when Christ rose again from the dead. So the effect is, you are not the same person you've always thought you were. No, no. God has given you a new name. And by the way, that new name is written in the book of life and will not be blotted out. That new identity He has given you is your security, your assurance that God has accepted you, He loves you, so you are secure in His love and you are significant in His plan. That's happened. It already happened. The only question we have is whether or not we're going to accept that as being true. You see, I can tell you, based on the authority of the Word of God, based on the authority of the Scriptures, that God has given you a new identity in Christ. He's made you a new person. I can tell you that, but it ain't going to do you any good until you believe it. You see, that's one thing that's required to experience this new identity and to live out the new lifestyle that that identity suggests. The only thing required on your part is faith. To trust Him. To trust that that is true. That what God says about you is absolutely true. Now that sounds easy, but it's more difficult than what you you might think. 
Because initially, when you trust God and you trust Jesus, you are, as Jesus said to that Pharisee who came to him at night, Nicodemus, he said, you've got to be born again. Now that freaked Nicodemus out because he was an old man, a teacher of Israel. He was a teacher of teachers. And he said, how can I be born again? I can't enter into, I'm an old man. I can't enter into my mother's womb again and be born. Jesus said, no, you're missing the whole point. Well, actually, he rebuked him a little better than that. He said, you're the teacher of teachers in Israel and you don't know this? You've got to be born again. And he explained it to him. He said, look, you were born once of the flesh. And you came into this world alive in the flesh. But you need to be born again of the Spirit. Because that which is born of the flesh is flesh. But that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. In other words, you need to become a brand new spiritual being. And when we trust Jesus, that's exactly what happens. God puts to death the old person we were and raises up a brand new person who is created in Christ Jesus and therefore has a brand new lifestyle. See, that's the whole significance of a new identity. It's a new way to live. Now let me connect it with what we've been studying over the last several months. This new lifestyle that is produced from your new identity is radically different from the old lifestyle we're conditioned in, radically different from the way the world lives, because it's a lifestyle of grace and truth, rather than the typical lifestyle of law, rules and regulations and what you got to do and lies, justification, rationalization for why you didn't do it. It's a lifestyle of grace and truth, which is like, just like the lifestyle of Jesus when he was here on this earth. That's the new lifestyle you're called to. That's the new lifestyle that's been given to you because you're a new person created in Christ. Now, Peter didn't understand that all at once, and neither do you. In fact, I think Peter might have been a little offended that Jesus changed his name. But he didn't understand exactly what it meant. And so as we trace out through the Gospels his development in his life, it's a model for our own. When we first come to know Jesus, we know very little about the reality of it, because we are born again. Now, Jesus used that term so we would understand. How much does a newborn baby understand about who their father is? How much do they understand about where they came from? What they're doing here? What their meaning in life is? They don't have any understanding of that at all. 
And that's the way all Christians are to begin with. They don't understand what's happening to them. Peter didn't understand either. And it took him a while following Jesus before he began to realize even who Jesus was. Even though Andrew told him he's the Christ, he's the Messiah. It took him a while to buy into that. And so today what I want us to look at is that point in Peter's life following Jesus when he confessed who Jesus really was. In order to see that, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 16. We're going to switch from John's Gospel to Matthew's Gospel. And I'm going to read a couple of verses to you out of this. About an incident that took place probably about halfway through the three and a half years of Jesus' public ministry. So probably about a year, maybe a year and a half into Peter following Jesus around, seeing his miracles, hearing his teaching, he began to realize who he really was. Beginning in verse 13 of Matthew 16, I'll just read it to you. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, that is the borders of this town in northern Israel that was really kind of a resort place. But as he began to enter the edges of that, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So what he was asking them basically is, what's public opinion of me? What are people saying about me? Who do they say I am? Because he was getting a reputation by that time. A year and a half into his ministry, people were hearing about him. The word spread like crazy. So he asked his disciples, he said, who do people think I am? And they answered him politely with the good things that people might have thought about him, leaving out the bad. And they said, some people say that you're John the Baptist, raised up from the dead. Some say you're Elijah, or Jeremiah, or one of the prophets, because truly he sounded like, acted like, those prophets in his ministry. What they failed to tell him was that many people, especially the religious people, religious leaders, thought he was a half-breed Samaritan with a demon. They thought he was crazy. They They thought he was... This wild man isn't who he says he is. He's an imposter. He's crazy. But they left that out, being polite with Jesus. But then he put the question to them personally. He said, okay, I hear public opinion of me. But now, who do you say that I am? Who do you think I am? These guys have been following him for probably a year, year and a half. 
They witnessed a lot of miracles. They witnessed and heard His teaching. And so Jesus asked him, Now, who do you think I am? It was Peter, Simon, that answered with this confession. He said, You are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Peter just came right out with it. He was convinced. You see, there's kind of three levels of discipleship when it comes to Jesus and His followers. There are those that followed Him, and even today, those who want to know about Him, who are simply curious. They heard about this wild teacher coming from Nazareth. So he had a reputation kind of like a a construction worker from Key West. And they were curious about him. He did all kinds of miracles. He spoke all kinds of things. And they were just curious about it, so they followed him out of curiosity. But then there are those disciples, like Peter here, who are convinced of who he is. They're not curious anymore. They are absolutely convinced. And then there are those, which we'll see Peter illustrate later, who are committed. Now, this confession of Peter proves that he was convinced. But how did he get convinced here? Well, you say he was following Jesus for a year and a half and it just he just was convinced of who he was. No? There's something more involved in it. But look what Jesus said to Simon. When he made that declaration and that confession, Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. How did he become convinced? It wasn't because he studied it in a book. It wasn't because he rationalized it somehow. Flesh and blood did not convince him. He was convinced by God Himself who Jesus was. God revealed it to him personally. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but this is in fulfillment of the new covenant which Jesus came to establish. Where God says, you're not going to have need that someone tell you about me. I will be your God and you will be my people. We will have a close, intimate, personal relationship. And Peter had that. He got that. 
God convinced him. Now, it's in this context that he introduces another really significant part that Peter would play, future in his life. He said, not only has God convinced you, my Father which is in heaven, he says in verse 18, and I say also unto thee that thou art Peter. Notice he didn't call him Simon here. You are Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But that's not all. Listen to this. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And talk about power now and authority. That's exactly what he's talking about. And he spoke with the Peter. Now, there's been various interpretations throughout the years of what these verses actually mean. And I'm not going to go through all the details with you, but I want to make this one connection very clear in your mind. When he started out, he said, you are Peter. In the Greek, he would say, you are Petros, a rock, a stone. But he went on to say, but upon this rock, upon this rock, he uses a different term. He doesn't say, upon this Peter, I will build my church. Now those churches that are built by man, that are organized and established as a religious organization by the design of men, are not the church Jesus promised to build. Because He didn't say, upon this Petros rock, Peter, I will build my church. No, no, no. He said, upon this rock, translated Petra. Now there's a big difference between Petros and Petra. It's not just the difference between uh, a little difference. There's a massive difference here. Petros means a stone, a rock. Rock solid. Petra means a massive rock formation. Now you can see some of those massive rock formations over in Israel even today. And where they were at Caesarea Philippi was a classic example of a huge rock formation upon which the city was built and around which the city was built. A Petra. Well, who is this Petra rock or massive rock formation? He's referring, Jesus is referring to himself because he is the rock of ages. And all the way through the scriptures, he's presented as the rock. Now, Peter's a piece of that. He's a stone, but he's not the massive rock. So he said, 
you're Peter, but upon this rock, Petra, referring to himself, I will build my church, which again is another unfortunate translation. And I hesitate to even use that word because of our modern concept of the church. Our modern concept of the church is it's a place. And we use it in our natural everyday language. If I said to you, I'll meet you at the church, you would think of a place. And it includes a physical structure, a building of some sort. Or, lest you you uh, think it's, I'm not talking about us here, it could be, I'll meet you under the pavilion. Right? Even though we don't have a building per se. But that's not what Jesus was meaning. If he, if he was wanting us to get that idea, he would not have used the word he used that is unfortunately translated church. The real word is ecclesia. That's a Greek word. And ecclesia is an assembly of people with a purpose. There are all kinds of ecclesias or assemblies that they all knew about. But if Jesus was talking about the church we think of naturally today, he would have said something like, upon this rock, meaning himself, I will build my synagogue where I'll build my own religious institution of some sort. But he didn't. He used a non-religious term called ecclesia, a special assembly of folks called out. Now, I don't want to get carried away with that, but I want you to know the difference here. What Jesus says is upon this rock, meaning himself, I am going to build my assembly of called out people. Now, that assembly may take form in various places all over the world at various times. In fact, when you get to Matthew 18, he refers to his, his assembly as two or three gathered together in his name. That's a church. Did you all know that you can have church in a grocery store? Hmm? You can have church out in the woods. You can have church in the cow pens. I've experienced that. You can have church out on the firing range. I've experienced that. You can have church in the arena over there. I've experienced that. Why? Where two or three or more are gathered together. Now, who does the gathering? God. He adds members to the church as he sees, are gathered together in my name, in identity with me. That's Jesus' church. He said, I'm going to build this church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You see, our concept of the church is so backwards, we get the idea that the church is a place you go and hide to get away from the devil and all the bad stuff, right? No, that's not Jesus' idea of the church. His idea of the church is a small group assemblies 
more engaged in what we would call a guerrilla warfare, smashing through the gates or defenses of hell itself to set the captives free. The captives who don't know who they really are, who don't know who God has made them to be. So when he revealed this to Peter, it was a revelation just like God's revelation to Peter about who Jesus was. Now we have Jesus' revelation to Peter about what the church is. Now why would he do that with Peter? Peter is going to be seen as the most significant figure in the early stages and development of the church. And we'll see more about that in a later study. And so he's preparing Peter, kind of telling him where he was going to go and what was going to be involved. But one other thing I want to clear up while we're here on this passage, and that is this promise, he said, and I, I'm going to give unto you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. The keys represent the authority. I'm going to give unto you authority, God-given authority on this earth that comes from heaven so that whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you bind or loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. What does he mean by that? The exercise of the authority sounds almost like, when you read it in King James here, it sounds almost like Jesus is giving Peter absolute authority so whatever he does on earth, heaven will, will tattoo it, agree to it, or whatever he doesn't do on earth. But that's not really the construction of the language here. Let me give you an alternative translation of this. Now, when the King James translators translated this, I can understand why they would they would assume it to be that way. But the original Greek says, whatever you bind on earth, that means whatever you decide at any given time, at any point here on earth, whatever you declare here on earth shall have already been bound and continue to be bound in heaven. Now, this gives it a whole different flavor here, folks. Okay, it's not the authority you have to do something and God's going to make it happen. Mm -mm. It's the privilege you have to declare on earth what God has already done and will continue to do in heaven. See, it's not that you're, you're acting and God proves that you're okay by doing that. That's not, that's not what he's saying at all. It's not that you have the authority in yourself. No, no. What you have the authority to do is to express on this earth what God is doing in heaven. It's a different authority. And you'll see from the, the example on life of Peter, how that authority actually worked. How it was actually carried out, as we get to it later. But it's important to understand that for this reason. Peter 
in his new identity, as he followed Jesus and learned who he was, began also to learn why Peter was here. And he was here to express the will of the Father on this earth so people could see it. I've often thought about that when I I make such radical statements to people that you're not the same person you used to be. And I've talked to a lot of people in private counseling and they'll tell me about such things as wanting to take revenge because they hate so-and-so or wanting to do this, and I feel like doing that. And I'll point blank tell them, that's not you talking. That's not who you are. How do I know that? And how do I have the authority to tell them that? Because God has revealed it in His Word that you are a brand new person. You're not that same old person you've always thought you were. Motivated by the flesh. Motivated out of fear, guilt, and pride. You're a brand new person motivated out of faith, hope, and love. That's who you really are. But when your flesh flashes and you do some dumb thing, like Peter's about to do here in a minute. We'll close with that. You do some dumb thing, you can take consolation in the fact that's not you. That's not the real person God has made you to be. The real person God has made you to be is just like Jesus with the authority that Jesus gave Peter to represent on this earth the will of God in heaven, what he wants. So Peter began to realize not just who Jesus was, but he began to realize the extent of who he was himself. But just a little while later, as you read in this chapter, a little while later, Jesus began to reveal to his disciples the fact that he had to go to Jerusalem. He had to be abused at the hands of the religious folks. He had to be killed. And he had to be risen again the third day. In other words, he was trying to explain to his disciples what his mission really was on this earth. He came to seek and to save that which is lost, which would require his sacrificial death in Jerusalem. So he began to explain that to his disciples. But I want you to notice Peter's reaction. His reaction to it is very similar to the reaction that I would have or other people have. When Jesus explained that, then Peter, verse 22, then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto you. Peter said he couldn't hear it. He said, Oh, no, no. Oh, no, no, no. You're the Messiah. You're the Christ. 
So let's knock off this business of suffering. Let's knock off this business of being killed. No, no, no. That's not that's not what's going on here. You're the king, man. You're the Messiah. You're supposed to fix everything and set everything straight. And we're following you to watch you do that. So you can't be talking about going to Jerusalem and getting killed. Look what Jesus said to him. Now this is right after Peter made a confession of who Jesus was. Right after Jesus told him what his real purpose was going to be. Jesus said, Get thee behind me, Satan. You are an offense unto me. For you don't understand the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Now for him to tell Peter to get behind him, Satan... Okay, shows Peter where he was really at, what he was really thinking at the time. He missed the whole point. Remember, your life in this world, in this new lifestyle, is developmental. Okay, you don't get it automatically all at once. This new walk you have in Jesus is progressive and developmental. So it was with Peter. You remember when Peter, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, in the middle of that storm when they saw Jesus walking on the water, how Peter went against all his conditioning as a fisherman on the lake in the middle of a storm and climbed out of the boat and actually walked on water to go to Jesus. Of course, it wasn't but a few steps. And he lost sight of Jesus and began to sink. He didn't do it perfectly. And neither will you. See, a lot of people are, are worried because they're not living this perfect Christian life that they should be living according to their standards. And they're worried about that. Some of them so much that they're worried that they might not even go to heaven even though they believed on Jesus. Let me assure you. Let me comfort you with this. If it can be screwed up, you will screw it up. You got that? You're not going to live perfectly every day, day in and day out. It doesn't happen that way. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way for Peter. And it ain't going to work that way for you either. Yeah, you might take a few steps on the water miraculously walking like Jesus did, but you're going to sink just like Peter did sooner or later. And Jesus will raise you up. Yeah, you can confess that Jesus is the Christ and you can actually hear Jesus give you authority and power to represent Him as His ambassador on this earth. And then the next day, you're going to say, no, that's not the way it should work. I got a better idea. Just like Peter. So relax with it. Peter is an example of our lives and how we grow 
in the Lord. How we mature. And it is a lot of trial and a bunch of error. But God is faithful. He's merciful. And He gives us the grace to sustain us in that walk even when we fail. Why am I telling you that? I'm telling you that so that you'll be encouraged to keep on keeping on despite the failures of your flesh. Because that's not who you really are. That's not who God made you to be. That's not His design for your life. So don't let the failures, don't let the screw-ups in your life destroy you and discourage you. Jesus had to rebuke Peter because Peter was in Satan's camp in his mind. And Peter took that rebuke. Now, in Matthew 18, we'll get to this in the next study. In Matthew 18, Jesus helps Peter understand what's required for him to do when people offend him. When people who are close to him hurts him. And that is to forgive. Peter found it difficult to believe that. Uh, I don't think I need to forgive that person. I need to choke him. I don't think I need to forgive him. I need to kill him. And so Jesus said, if they sin against you, forgive them seven times. Or Peter said that. You want me to forgive them seven times? That was the natural teaching of the of the religious leaders. Jesus said, no, Peter. I don't want you to forgive them seven times. I want you to forgive them seven times, 70 times. I want you to forgive them 490 times, which is forever. So Peter didn't have it perfect. He wasn't he wasn't this angel, so to speak, this saint, even though he's called Saint Peter, that we all think of. He was just like you, just like me. Yes, he understood who Jesus was. And yes, Jesus revealed to him his real purpose here on this earth. But he didn't do it perfectly. It was a process by which he grew. Now, ultimately, we're going to see Peter actually being the true rock that Jesus called him to be after Jesus was resurrected and ascended back into heaven. It was Peter who stood up on the day of Pentecost and proclaimed the gospel to all of Jerusalem. It was Peter who initiated the church that Jesus was building. So don't let your failures discourage you. They're going to happen. But that doesn't mean it's over yet. It's not the end just because you fail. It's not the end. There's much more to come. God's grace is given in spite of your failures. In spite 
of your weaknesses. And that's why Paul would later testify concerning what God told him about his weaknesses. He said, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. His grace is sufficient. Let's pray. Father God, as we come in your presence, we thank you. We thank you for that amazing grace you've given us, the calling you've given us to be Christ to others around us. We thank you for that, Father. We ask you to strengthen us now. Even as you strengthened Peter, as you prepared him, as you taught him, as you instructed him, do that same for us, Father, that we might grow in grace. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Appreciate you all being here today. Go in peace. And the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you all. Thank you again for listening. If you want more access to Alpha Ministries teaching, you can like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and visit our website. All times and dates for services and other events are on our website listed in the show notes. 